Hey, this is Kwame Christian, and you are listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to episode 120 of Chasing Dreams. That is mind-boggling. I know, I said that in the last episode, but... (laughs) It's mind-boggling after you get to the past 100, guys. Come on. I mean, you podcast and then tell me that's not crazy. It is. Okay? That is insane. Thank you. And yeah. yes, I I have another wonderful guest for you. I, I met so many wonderful friends this past summer, and I hounded them and said, listen, now you're my friend for life, and you have to be on the show. And they said yes. And so I want you guys to meet Kwame Christian, Esquire. He is a business lawyer and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. In this role, he serves as a negotiation consultant for attorneys and for companies closing large business deals. He also conducts live training sessions for organizations. Kwame also hosts the podcast Negotiate Anything, where he interviews successful entrepreneurs and shares powerful persuasion techniques with over 110,000 downloads. That's 110-000 downloads that that's a lot of downloads and listeners in 140 countries it is the top ranked negotiation and dispute resolution podcast in the nation and it is amazing you guys should check it out the links will be in the show notes and he is here today to talk up to us and i'm honored kwame how are you sir thank you hey i'm feeling good how are you you know not so bad it's uh, almost friday it's we're recording this on a thursday night and, you know, we're kicking off the night with this, and I love it. I'm excited. Me too. Me too. I'm excited to spend the night this way. You know, I, in law school, I always loved negotiation class. Never really went down that route. So two questions come to mind. One, how long have you wanted to be a negotiator? So ever since I took my first negotiation class. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then two, based off that answer, what did you want to be when you were young? Ah, it, it changed a lot. Um, when I started, I wanted to be a, uh, a clinical psychologist when I started school. And so I, I majored in psychology, minored in foundations of law and Spanish. And um, that was my thing. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist because I wanted to help people. Um, but then I thought about it. I thought about efficiency and I realized if I get into policy making, then I could help more people and that would be more efficient. And so that's when I uh, went to decided to go to law school and I got a master of public policy at the same time because I was kind of creating this trajectory for politics. Um, thankfully, I have been disavowed <laughs> of, of that notion because I want to actually enjoy my life. Uh, so <laughs> so negotiation it is. Thankfully, I found that that class in, in law school and I fell in love. Now, when you say more efficient, what are we measuring here? Mm-hmm. 
med- I, I was measuring the amount of people I could help. Huh. And um, yeah, so I was like, well, you know, one-on-one, th- those are the kinds of interactions I would have as if I was a clinical psychologist. I would be able to make, uh, have deep and lasting relationships with people and make um, it important changes in their lives or help them to make those changes. Um, but I thought to myself, if I could be a, uh, a policymaker that's uh, in tune uh, with the needs of the people, then I could make policy changes that could help the masses. And so that would be more efficient in, in that regard. But what's interesting is that um, through the podcast and, and through the Negotiation Institute, I'm, I'm able to help uh, just thousands of people all around the world, um, empower them to feel more confident in uh, some of the most difficult conversations of their lives. So this this new route has turned out to be a perfect outlet for uh, for my goals. So when you were in high school and, and college, did you always have this need of helping others or giving back the way you do? Yeah, I was always, I was just trying to figure out what would be the outlet. And so that was always the question. How can I help people through whatever it is that I do while still being true to myself and and uh, chasing my dreams, <laughs> as they say? So um, so it was trying to figure out a way to align my interest of, of helping people with whatever it is that I was interested in. And, and what's cool about negotiation is that essentially what negotiation is, is operationalizing psychology for a business or legal purpose. And so that's why it was so interesting to me. So I got to ask, now that you've done this for a while, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. how many years have you been negotiating? (laughs) I I I feel like that's a trick trick question. So um, professionally, let's say about three, three ish years since I started, since I started the firm. So three ish years, 110,000 downloads, 140 countries, you know, how many episodes? About 55. About 55 episodes of content. So you've had, I'd say, let's just go with that professional kind of uh, exposure to negotiation. Now, looking back on your life, was young Kwame a negotiator? Did he have those tendencies now that you look back and know what to look for? Yes. And and the reason I know this now is because I was on another podcast interview. I forget the name uh, of the interview, uh, but, but the interviewer asked me about negotiation and, and when my first negotiation was. And I thought back to young Kwame. I grew up in a small town called Tiffin, Ohio, and um, there wasn't very much diversity there. Um, I was the only person of color really in my school. And I had uh, my family's from the Caribbean, so I always had a really strong Caribbean accent through through college. Now I just know how to how to code switch <laughs> as necessary. <laughs> um, and so and so I was always really different. And so uh, the negotiations that young Kwame had to have on a daily basis was the negotiation of acceptance. Uh, how do I position myself in a way to be non-threatening to the people around me and and gain their acceptance as as a person and possibly as a friend. And I think that's the base that that constant focus on human interaction has is what fueled my my love of psychology mm-hmm. and creating connections um, through negotiation and and resolving disputes is is what uh, is how I was able to translate that love of psychology uh, for a business purpose. So that's something that a lot of people go through in everyday life, right? Um, negotiating acceptance and just the day-to-day challenges that they face. is, And it sounds like you didn't have 
uh, formal training when you were young Kwame. How did you figure that out? Was that trial and error, uh, watching yeah. your parents or other people, or what happened? It was a lot of trial and error, um, realizing that people responded to me differently than they did like my peers. So I had to approach conversations in a different way. And so, so that's what created that sensitivity to um, uh, within human interaction, seeing people's behavior, how they responded, what worked, what didn't. And I think that's what created this generally positive and friendly affect that I lead with. Um, people always talk about how I smile so much. And I wonder if that was kind of an adaptive response to uh, to my uh, social situation. If I, if I wasn't in a situation where I was the only uh, black person, maybe I could have just relaxed <laughs> and been, been myself and said, you know what, today I don't want to smile. <laughs> today is, I'm just not feeling it. Um, but I, I learned that I needed to do that in order to help the people around me to feel comfortable. And then once I was able to uh, lower their barriers. Um, I could connect with them on a personal level. But I learned through trial and error that there was a barrier that needed to be negotiated before I was able to get to that level. Huh. I mean, I've never thought of it that way. Mm hmm. Yeah. And after I graduated from uh, law school, I did two years of social justice work um, dealing with uh, implicit bias. So I did a uh, some implicit bias trainings with uh, with police officers. Um, this was at when the the police shooting uh, issue was at its height. Uh, so that was uh, was an awkward one. That was a tough one. But uh, <laughs> focusing on on racial disparities in the U.S. that was my policy focus, and I went around giving uh, presentations and seminars on that, and really understanding how implicit bias works made me realize um, that these biases are at play whether we whether we believe in them or not, they, they exist. And so when you're, if you're a woman or you're a minority, or if you're a foreigner, or what I've known is, noticed is people from the South as well, you have, you have some barriers that you have to break through because people will carry some um, implicit assumptions about you. And so if you don't recognize that those uh, negotiations are happening or those barriers exist, you don't know how to negotiate uh, effectively because you're, there's going to be an invisible issue that you have, have yet to address. And so uh, through my life experiences, I've learned how to um, address those tactfully um, without bringing, bringing it up explicitly because that always makes people feel uncomfortable but understanding the uh the implicit associations that reside in the minds of others i've been able to figure out the most important and um, most important things to focus on early in the interactions in order to break through those and then have a a, con a conversation on a level playing field wow i mean i it's interesting to hear how that plays in day-to-day -day life and not just because we think negotiation we think solely or we automatically mostly think, you know, business transactions, real estate negotiations, mm -hmm. making deals, buyers, sellers, that kind of thing. It's just, you don't think about the fact that it comes up in day-to-day -day life, relationships, probably, uh, society, and so on. Um, I never yeah. thought of it that deeply. And and that's that's the thing that I love with these podcasts and and the different corporate trainings and and whatever I'm I'm able to do. I love approaching it from this perspective because I realize that more so than other 
uh, negotiation experts, I like to focus on changing the paradigm associated with negotiation uh, because most people have a very myopic perspective on what a negotiation is and isn't or when those skills could be utilized. Uh, but one of the first things I, I introduce in all of my presentations is uh, the definition of negotiation that I like to use, which is any conversation where somebody in the conversation wants something. And when you think about it that way, you recognize that we cannot go a day without negotiating something. And the people with whom we negotiate the most are the people who are closest to us. So that's going to be our spouse, significant other, children, colleagues, the, the classic impressions of negotiation where we have sitting on the other side of the business table with somebody or selling a house. Right. Those types of interactions are actually actually some of the rarest forms of negotiation. And once you develop that broad perspective of what a negotiation is, then you it's a signal to you that, hey, I'm in a negotiation right now. I can utilize these skills in order to either get more of what I want, avoid what I don't want, and strength and or strengthen the relationship. So how do people, you know, in day-to-day -day life, they're not doing this for business. How do you prepare yourself for that? Because I, I feel like some people take it as a, I am either on the offensive or defensive. Is that mm -hmm. a, a good mindset to go? N not necessarily. I, I don't want to think about it that way because mm -hmm. that I think that creates unnecessary, uh, unnecessary, unnecessary anxiety uh, when it comes to the conversation. Um, the first thing that you want to do is focus on that third pillar of negotiation that I mentioned, which, which is strengthening the relationship. Yeah. Whether or not you get a deal, it doesn't matter because you can always use the third pillar of uh, negotiation, which is strengthening the relationship. There's always value to be claimed in the relationship. And if you and if you focus on that, you can continue to accumulate wins, even if you're not substantively, substantively able to uh, get what you want. Um, so that that would be the first thing I'd say as far as um, your perspective when it comes to negotiation. But also when it comes to these everyday interactions, I would start to be a little bit clearer on what your goals are with each interaction. Uh, because sometimes we have a feeling when we come into these conversations and we kind of speak in code through these feelings and then we leave the conversation unsatisfied because the other person wasn't able to give the give us what we wanted right. because we were unable to effectively articulate our desires <laughs> and so changing your pair your, your perspective on the, what the conversation is it's not an argument it's just it's not a conversation it's actually a negotiation it allows you to be a little bit more strategic I'm having this conversation because I'm hoping to be able to to get home from work a little bit before rush hour today because I don't have anything else to do. So instead of speaking in code with my boss, <laughs> I'm going to be able to effectively articulate my desires in a, in a more persuasive way. Now I'm like thinking of every conversation I have. I'm like, <laughs> you know, when I'm conversing with my sister, like, hey, where's the, where are we doing for our birthday? Is it here? Like, is now I'm thinking about like, huh? I'm going to Boston, exactly. so I think she won that conversation. See, I love this because that's that's exactly how people respond. They they get quiet and they think back because they're like, "Wait a second! Yeah. Like all of this, <laughs> all of these were opportunities, and I just I completely missed them." But but yeah, there's this is the thing that really bugs me when it comes to our uh, American education system. Here's here's policy, Kwame, coming out. Um, we focus so much on these things that are are not as important, but 
there are these instances like in negotiation where we have either um, these conversations where we want to get something or conflict, which happens all the time and can be sometimes like the most challenging parts of our lives. Uh, there is zero literature on that. You see what you went to law school. So you had the opportunity to get a class. But the majority of people in the nation, they don't have that opportunity. And and frankly, most lawyers don't. I was giving a, a continuing legal, legal education class a couple weeks ago to trial attorneys. I asked them, what percentage of your cases do you think go to trial right now? And they said between three and five percent actually go to trial in front of a judge and a jury. That means the other 95 percent are settled through negotiation. And then I asked them, how many of you took a, have ever taken a negotiation course? Only one person raised their hand. It is mind boggling that in um, the American education system, uh, there's such a glaring lack of 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 knowledge when it comes to or options when it comes to effective conflict resolution or persuasion. It's it's one of the most important parts of our lives. And we we just <laughs> we just completely overlook it. Well, you know, and, and that's I agree. I totally think it's interesting. One, if you look at it just from a, a lawyer perspective, you think it would be a, a 101 course, right? Negotiate that everybody's mm-hmm. required. You're, t- you're required to take certain courses. You think negotiation would be one of them, given the fact that, hey, then at least you're working on compromise and settling things versus going to the court system and trials and minimizing that. But on a grander scale, you know, you think that we would incorporate these to provide more productive conversations. Absolutely. Um, th- think about it this way. Uh, from a legal perspective, how many dollars, if we're, if we're working on the typical billable hour model, how many dollars are wasted because um, lawyers don't know how to effectively negotiate? You know, it, it is an ineffective way of approaching these these conflicts as attorneys if we just try and litigate a case before we get to court. Yeah. If, we're all, if the only tool we have in our toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so we just go around hammering every single conversation. Oh, that was deep. Kwame? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. I like oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Take it. Take it. It is yours now. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, that's very powerful. Yeah, and and the um when we when we only have that tool, we're going to approach every conversation this way. And so if we're arguing, is is there ever going to be a situation where the where the lawyer on the other side says, "Hey, client, actually the other the other lawyer made a really good point, and since he or she outlawed me, I think you should capitulate." No, no lawyer's <laughs> going to do that. So, so we just argue until we get to the courtroom steps. And then think about when it comes to corporations as a manager, essentially all we do is persuade. We persuade the people that are um, our subordinates and as t- teamwork uh, as people who are colleagues um, working in a work environment, when it comes to um, working with each other, we need to persuade and resolve conflicts all the time. There's so much time that is lost due to inefficient forms of communication, where if you simply knew how to negotiate effectively, not only could you get more of what you want, but you could actually enjoy the process a lot more and get to your goals a lot more efficiently. And I wonder if it wouldn't change the mindset of how people approach uh, things in general, right? Instead of being adversarial, it's more of a cooperative, hey, let's talk about this. Let's negotiate a solution. Relationships. Hey, instead of fighting, let's talk it out. Everything from bullying to, you know, who's going to get the groceries to, you know, just politics. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it, there's an effect everywhere. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks, I'm doing a, a TED talk on uh, on conflict, um, because I think right now we're living in a time where it's like we don't know how to talk to each other and we're afraid of engaging in difficult conversations because we've conflated uh, the definitions of conflict and combat. And so when it comes to combat, we have uh, two people engaging in this altercation where the goal is to do damage. So whether or not we win or lose, we know that we are almost forced to be in a position where we have to do damage. Or even if we win, we're probably going to take a little bit of damage during the process. But that's not how it needs to be. You know, when you when cough, when you approach conflict effectively using these types of tools, it's actually an opportunity to either strengthen relationships that that matter to you, or identify and remove uh, malignant relationships because not all relationships are meant to be had. You know, at least through this tool of conflict, you'd be able to use it as a signal to show you, hey, there's an issue that needs to be discussed, and you had, you have an opportunity to to actually make things better. Okay, hold up. Time out. You're doing a TED Talk in two weeks? Yeah. Oh, guys, we're going to have to get that link, and it will be on the show notes page. I can't wait. We're, so yeah. which TED Talk is it? So it, uh, the TED Talk is going to be um, in Dayton, Ohio. So it's going to be in front of about 1,200 people or so. And I have to, <laughs> they've asked me to synthesize like my best idea down to 10 minutes in a way that is both entertaining and educating. So. That's so awesome. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's been tough. And um, my podcast listeners know uh, because there was like a month of silence where I, I wasn't able to post an episode because I was working so hard on the talk. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to do it. I think it, I, I'm just excited to have the opportunity to share this message and hopefully um, empower more people to be willing to engage with these difficult conversations. So you, you bring us back to, to a point I wanted to ask you, because you seem to be one who wants to help others as much as possible, as many as possible. And so you started the American Negotiation Institute. And most people, when they come out of law school, don't start an institute. So, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's awesome. Um, it's a great name. I was like, man, that is so official. How did he, what did it, what, how did he even like, what the, so how did that come about? Like, why, why go this route of American negotiation Institute? Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I realized I just came to the, the point where I decided that win, lose or draw, I wanted to be on my terms. Um, we, as, as attorneys, we have the opportunity to, to go like either the big firm route or get in-house with a, uh, with a corporation and make six figures and, and live a decent life. Um, that's, that's very tempting. Um, but one of the things that I've, I've tried to do since, uh, graduating is, is read as much as possible, listen to my mentors and, and kind of pay attention to what makes people happy and really understand not only the psychology that applies to my craft of negotiation, but also the psychology of, of happiness and fulfillment, like what takes you there. Um, studies have shown that people 
probably they top out on happiness at about $60,000. So money can make you happy up to about $60,000. But then um, once you get beyond $60,000 a year, there's no there is a negligible difference in the levels of happiness between people um, at $60,000 and people on the Forbes 100 list. And that's because happiness is kind of like your height. You can't change your height. Um, but what you can do is you can remove barriers that prevent you from getting to your typical level of happiness. And so that's why if you're at $10,000, there's some, <laughs> there's some social barriers that will make you very unhappy that will stunt the growth of your happiness. Hmm. But once you get to $60,000, it's like, okay, my, my basic needs are met. And now there are other things that I need to focus on, like fulfillment. But the problem is most people don't know that. And they start, they try to um, chase their happiness through money or things. And they get on what's called the hedonic treadmill. So that's the term taken from the idea of hedonism, which is the pleasure seeking principle. And so what ends up happening is because humans are so um, resilient and are able to adapt so quickly that once you get a certain level of high, um, so let's say you win the lottery, it's like, oh my goodness, I won the lottery, I'm a millionaire, that's incredible. I'm gonna buy all these boats and cars yes. and all this stuff. I'm and pretty so sure there's you, a high. Yeah, there is a big high. But then what happens is that simply becomes your new normal. And, that, and then you start to level out and you're like, hmm, I must need more. And so then you get on that treadmill, you try to get another high, let me get another boat. Let me start to do other things to get that high. And that's why you see so many huge film stars and uh, rock stars and, and uh, personalities start to turn to drugs because they've run out of opportunities or options to get that high through objects or money. So it's like, well, how else can I get higher? So that's when they turn to drugs. Right. And so that's understanding that made me realize that there's something else that I should focus on. And that's, that's my passion. And going back to what I always wanted to do, the passion was helping people. And the academic passion was psychology. And so I think the thing that makes me different in what, the, what I do with negotiation is that I don't just give strategies and tools. I actually explain why those tools work with the psychological underpinnings. And I also talk about the, psycholo the psychology that we have internally and the barriers that we face when it comes to negotiating effectively. Because I think what, what's ended up happening with negotiation literature is the fact that we've been giving recipes to people who are afraid to get in the kitchen. And until we take the time to empower people, they're not going to use the tools that we provided them. And so that's really the motivation for me uh, when it comes to creating this American Negotiation Institute and, and proliferating this message as far as possible with the podcast. So essentially what you're doing is making it accessible to those who may not normally have access to this and making it in such a way, because it sounds like you're making it in such a way that it's accommodating for them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's been challenging because um, here's an example. So I surveyed my audience and it was just fascinating to see the people who are listening, just such a diverse audience, not just racially or socially, socioeconomically, but also when it comes to their professions as well. And so one person said, I just discovered your podcast three days ago and I listened to every episode. And this was a couple 
this was a couple, like a month or so ago. And I was like, wait, how in the world did you get through 50 episodes in three days? I don't even like me that much. That's crazy. <laughs> and so it turns out he's, um, he's, I think, a UPS driver. And so he spends all his time on the road. So he could just rip through these podcasts one after the other. Really? And so, yeah. And, and so understanding that, it, it really demonstrated the diversity of my audience and and made me realize I can't just focus on these high level um, business like transactionals or mergers and acquisitions type of stuff. I need to focus on things that are interesting to to more uh, a wider uh, variety of people. So when I look back on it, some of my most po- popular episodes don't involve business at all. Um, for instance, uh, well, one was salary negotiation is always popular. Persuasive storytelling is one of the most popular ones. How to amplify your holiday gift giving with psychological principles. Um, fun episodes like that. Um, oh, how to how to handle holiday hostility. Uh, that was a fun one <laughs> for Thanksgiving around election time last year. Oh, wow. And so it's it's forced me to be more creative with my content. And so um, coming up, I have a person who talks about mindfulness and how you can, how training and mindfulness can help you to be more aware and uh, flexible in negotiation and and a relationship therapist that can teach you, that's going to talk about how to uh, negotiate with your significant other. And so it's been fun. It's been fun. Um, and it's and it's forced me out of my comfort zone with a lot of these uh, topics. But I think it's it's made me better. And uh, it's it's really cool to see how we've created this symbiotic relationship where they tell me what they want to hear. It forces me to learn that and then teach it. And so it's been a, a lot of fun developing it and growing it uh, with the audience. And I think that's amazing how your audience is so diverse and your topics are so diverse. I mean, kudos to you for recognizing that. I mean, because it's one thing to to be told, "Hey, you you have a diverse audience." It's not just <laughs> business people. And then there's another thing to actually say, "Hey, let me address that. Let me actually respond to that and take care of my people uh, who are listening." And that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, and and it's been cool because I I've ceded a significant amount of control to the audience. And so last year the, when I started the podcast it was named Negotiation for Entrepreneurs because as a small business attorney that was my perspective. I, I was I was like entrepreneurs need this. Let's go for that. Then I surveyed the audience and I found out there were only 30% entrepreneurs. I was like, "What in the world?" Okay. And so I let them rename the podcast. So now it's called Negotiate Anything because they voted on that name and it won. And I didn't like the name. I really didn't like the name, but they picked it. And so so that's what we're going for. And um, like with with the way the content is presented now, when uh, I have my solo episodes, but I also have guests on. So the guests focus on a really narrow negotiation technique. And then I have them on again to... um, to do what's called a sparring session where I become your worst nightmare in a conversation mm-hmm. and the and the guest shows the audience how to use the skill that they just showed just talked about in a really specific situation with somebody that will be worse than anything you'll ever have to deal with <laughs> and so that I, I created that because people were saying that hey this information is great but what happens when it doesn't work what if somebody's difficult and so because of that feedback i added this other element and it's really improved the show so when you when you're doing this and, and this is going so well it, what else is there that you want to see the institute do or you do 
that you think is possible and can help people down the road? Because I think I feel like this is just the beginning for you. It is. And I think um, the first the first year year, it's been about a year and a half. And so the first year was really about building trust with the audience. Like up, up until like, over a year into it, I was getting messages from audience members asking if I did coaching or consulting and stuff because I, I refused to sell on the show because I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about the, uh, the content. But now after doing this for a while, I'm starting to get an idea of the market. And some people have actually reached out to me asking for me to consult on deals, uh, which has been a lot of fun. And so now I'm seeing where I want to go from a business perspective. And so the next iteration of the business will be continuing to grow the podcast, but also growing the business side of it. So getting into more corporations and doing trainings, because I love trainings and, and teaching people and seeing that aha moment when they realize how they can use these skills effectively in their lives. And then utilizing the money from that to build more content like on YouTube. Um, so actually doing some videos on YouTube to get uh, to drive more traffic and teach more people. And I think building it in that way, um, building, getting more revenue, using that revenue as fuel to take this car a little bit further uh, through YouTube is, is going to be one of the best things for me and, and getting into more deals. So if there's a corporation or a, a company that is working on closing big deals, coming consult. in as like a consultant. Yeah. yeah. Done that a few times and it has been so much fun. So much fun. Well, it keeps you fresh, right? I mean, yeah, there's something to be said about kind of negotiating here and there live. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's um, even though my my passion is with pedagogy, uh, the, the actual teaching of it, I need to stay sharp, like you said. Um, and it, I, I use these uh, opportunities to stay sharp through either consulting or I, I'm still practicing law. So I'm still negotiating on behalf of my clients and I mediate at the court. So I'm constantly surrounding myself with conflict. And the way I think about it is that I'm, I'm collecting stories. <laughs> for my uh, for my teaching, for the podcast or the trainings, um, I, I engage in these things because I want to be a more effective teacher. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if negotiation.tv ends up being all you on YouTube. Oh, that would be cool. That uh, would be cool. <laughs> oh, check out the domain, see if it's there. I think I totally think you could do it, and I wouldn't be surprised if we find that Kwame becomes an author and shares his learnings and these stories in a book. And I think it's just awesome that you're continuing to do this while now, are you doing this full time? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm solo. Uh, so the, the majority of my money comes from the law firm for now. Um, but I'm slowly starting to see the, uh, the negotiation side build up and really for me professionally, I'll determine how successful I am by how quickly I stop practicing law because I realize that I'm, I'm a good attorney, but I can be great at this simply because of my passion behind it. Well, I, I absolutely. I totally, totally agree that I could see it even just from our conversation. I mean, the fact that you're still practicing, so you essentially have a day job and you're pursuing this, you know, side by side simultaneously is awesome and very inspiring. And the fact that you've kind of stayed true to what you've wanted to do, which is give back, because that's, you know, regardless of what form it's taken, you're giving back. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, 
I'm just here trying to chase dreams, Amy J. That's all I want to do. <laughs> well, Chloe, before I let you go, can you help others chase their dreams by sharing one thing they should do today? Absolutely. Um, okay. So what I'd say is uh, challenge yourself to engage in what I call rejection therapy. Um, so rejection therapy is when you ask for something that you don't think you will be able to get. For example, sometimes I'd go to a coffee shop, I, I get my, my uh, whatever it is I'm getting, and then I'd ask for a free pastry. I have no right for a free pastry, but I'm doing that because I'm actually inviting rejection. And the reason is uh, one of the biggest barriers people have to um, addressing conflict and uh, negotiating and getting what they want is because they're afraid of the ask. A rejection is one of the most psychologically damaging things that could happen to us. Uh, think about any time you've asked somebody on a date or asked for something and you were rejected, it hurts. No matter how slight it is, it hurts. And so by engaging in rejection therapy, it shows you that there's life after rejection. You're still going to live. And it makes you, and engaging in this will make it easier for you to make those bold asks when it matters. And so even though I've been doing this for years and I teach negotiation and I'm involved in all these deals, I still do this because I want to make sure that I can desensitize myself from the pain of rejection and um, empower myself to, to ask for, to, for what I want when it matters. And what's cool is a lot of times you end up getting what you want. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, I, I, it ha probably about 50, 50. Sometimes I get rejected. I'm like, cool, I'm stronger now. I don't care. <laughs> and then sometimes I ask and they give it to me. I'm like, what, what? That wasn't supposed to happen, but I will take this object. Thank you very much. So that, that would be my challenge for the audience. Wow. That's, it's almost like it's a win-win either way. It just, it's your perspective. Exactly. Uh -huh. And, oh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, I have a, a free guide. Um, it's like 10 or 12 pages on um, effective negotiation. So it, it covers the, uh, the three characteristics of an effective negotiator, and it has three of our most popular uh, free downloads. So the negotiation preparation guide that you can use to prep for your negotiations, the conflict resolution guide that you can use to uh, strategize before engaging in conflict, and the salary negotiation guide, which is the most popular one, uh, where you can try to get more out of your salary at work. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can download that ultimate guide and uh, start getting more of what you want. Tommy, that's so nice of you. Thank you so much for sharing that with our audience. Guys, you should check it out. I downloaded it myself and am reading it myself because you can always get better and learn more. So definitely do that and definitely take heart and take part in his challenge. I love that idea. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. And if you if if you do it, connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know because I, I love hearing those success stories. That those always make my day. Fantastic. Guys, you can find all those on the show notes page. And I'll link that up in a second. Kwame, thank you so much for coming out, sharing your story. I had a lot of fun with it. Thank you. Me too. This was a blast. And Dream Chasers, that was Kwame Christian. How awesome was his story? I love it. I love it. He's such a fun guy, doing amazing things. And you should definitely check out his TED Talk, which is on the show notes page, and his website, because you should get the guides. The links to all the free guides and all the notes that we mentioned 
are on the show notes page over at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 120. That's episode 120. So you guys go out, take his challenge, try it out, connect with him on LinkedIn. Let us know on our social media as well. If you did it, I'd be curious to see. And until next time, guys, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Or leave a comment on her website, ChasingDreamsHQ.com. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Chasing.